the Mac Observer's Mac Geekab, episode 493 for Sunday, March 16th, 2014. Uh, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where we all come together. You send in your questions. We answer your questions. You send in your tips. We share your tips. We share our own tips. We all share cool stuff found from time to time. And together, we come here so that we can uh, learn in a happy, friendly way about... Uh, I said happy, friendly. What, what was that about? Uh, about Mac and Apple products. This show uh, is sponsored by Barebones Software, makers of BB Edit and Yojimbo at barebones.com. This show is sponsored by Connected Data and Drobo which is actually one company now, I think you know. And uh, and Drobo's fine line of their uh, Direct Connect and network-attached storage products with their Beyond RAID technology. We'll tell you a little bit more about that. Drobo.com, you can find out. And this show is sponsored by Rage Software, the makers of EverWeb, the iWeb replacement app for your Mac. And we'll talk more about that later, too, at everwebapp.com. Here in Durham, New Hampshire... I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in sunny, fearful Connecticut, John F. Brown. Spring might be upon us, my friend. Yeah. It's threatening. Say, it's knocking say, at the say door. We're not, we're not going to see any snow anymore. It may oh, I wouldn't cold. say that. We had two oh, inches. Oh, I would. We well, had I'm, two I'm, inches I'm, of I'm snow gonna, the other day. Yeah, well, we're talking here. We're not as cool. We're cold. No, I'm looking at the forecast, and it looks like it's going to eventually get in the 50s and not go below. Yeah, but you and I both know we've seen snow in April in New England, so I, I, Sometimes. I say nothing about that because, because I know. Oh, and not, that, not that I, I care if I'm wrong. It's that I, I know that if I tempt the gods by, by shaking my fist at the sky and saying, never again this year shall it snow, that I'm going to get a blizzard the next day. So, you know, that's how it goes. Oh, well. Yeah. So I learned something new. You know how we always want to learn something new? That's so the idea. That I want to take upon myself. So one is I upgraded to DSM-5 on the Synology because they upgraded that. For those that don't know, so Synology makes a network attached storage. They make the disk stations software. that we talk about here. Right, make yeah. this station. And there's, there's software that you use to interface to it. Uh, web-based is called DSM. And they just upgraded to 5. Uh, visually, I, I would say visually it's... Perhaps not quite as striking, but maybe is iOS uh, seven. It kind of has that look different. Yeah. And and they laid things out a little different. But I finally went through the steps because also, you know, getting ready to travel here. Uh, but I set up. Uh, so one of the pieces of software you can install is a VPN. And so I actually set up an open VPN VPN and it uh, wasn't as bad as I thought. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious because I have um, I, I have always avoided open VPN simply because I've been lazy about it. I, I, my, uh, I've always installed the VPN software or the VPN server or run the VPN server from my router because the, the, the DDWRT firmware I run on there lets me do um, VPN and it will do open VPN or PPTP. The latter being far more insecure than the former. Uh, but it's also really easy to set up and I can do it in about 30 seconds. 
So I've always chosen the latter and, and hoped for security by obscurity in that no one finds me here at home and hacks into me. So now that I've told tens of thousands of people about that, thankfully we're doing this in a happy and friendly way. I knew that was going to pay off and, uh, well, so, and you folks won't hack me. So I want to know what the process, cause you have to generate a certificate and all that stuff, right, John? Well, the good news is that that seems to be built into the installation. Okay. Uh, the, the reason that I wanted to, so at one point I'd put an open VPN client, which I believe is free, um, on my iPhone. Right. In anticipation of doing this. And to be fair, the easiest way for you, the listener at home, to set up an open open VPN server is to install OS 10 server. Uh, that's what Pilot Pete has done, and it's a super simple process to set up. A, a, it, it's not open VPN, but it's it's IPsec and and all of that uh, secure stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, I've t- I did that once too. Yeah, I yeah. Think it was a PPTP or L2TP, one of those. Yeah, uh, L2TP, I think IPsec. But, right, uh, that's right, that's right, John. Yeah. So OpenVPN was, it really only had one screen. So once you install the uh, VPN server package, you then go to the configuration, and really the only thing I had to set up is that there was a box asking, well, what do you want the IP address of this VPN to be? And so I made it the same subnet that my the rest of my uh, NAT assigned network is. Sure. Seems to make sense to me. And it seems to be working. And then it says maximum number of connections. And then here's the key, uh, at least with Synology. And then it has a button that says export configuration. It's like, oh, well, that's cool. That's basically cool. What that does is that spits out two files. One is a dot open VPN file. I believe that's the uh, suffix. And uh, okay. that's basically a text file with configuration. And then it spits out a dot sir file. Hmm. That could be a certificate. Right. I guess. And that's right. what's going to help secure your connection. And then you take those files. So what I did is is actually run iTunes um, and drag those files uh, over to the uh, iTunes window for that application. So if you oh. list the applications in iTunes, one thing you can do is you can submit files to the applications. I don't but know if you've why done wouldn't that. why wouldn't you be using OS ten? Sorry, iOS's built in uh, VPN configurations for that because I didn't want to. Because <laughs> I okay. wanted to learn OpenVPN. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, but because I had an OpenVPN client and I saw it in the Synology, and I'm like, well, you know, I got the pieces. So right, let, but let me but do you that. can you can connect to that OpenVPN server with the built-in iOS VPN client. You don't need a third-party client to do that. Huh. Okay. Well, I'll try to take that. Though it integrates. I mean, the thing is that I know. You know OpenVPN client on iOS is. It's just a setup client. Yeah, exactly. Because once you enable it, it it inserts, yeah, the profile and and all of that uh, into the phone. So so you go to turn it on, you go to settings and VPN on your iPhone to connect. Is that right? Well, no, I run the OpenVPN app and then that has the the login. That's bizarre. Okay. Yeah. It shows a profile, but but the thing is, it works. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Oh, I believe you. There's an easier way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there probably is. Yeah. But, you know, just the fact that I got this working without. No, I think it's great. Bang my head against the desk. But um, right. the nice thing. Well, well, the trickiest part was. All right. So you got to export those files from the Synology and get them over to. You know, OK, your iTunes machine is one way to set it up. Right. Then the other thing is on the Synology. And this but you is could you could of, email them to yourself. Oh, you're not doing it. You have to get it into you know, that. Actually, app. Now that. I think about it. I think. Yeah, you can email, and then when you click on the attachments, it'll say, well, what app do you want to open this? And you can do that, or you can drag the files over. It was easier to drag the files over sure. using iTunes. Sure, 
Uh, yeah, but once I sense. did that, the only other thing I had to do on the Synology is that then go to their control panel and they have one called external access and then their router configuration. So what the Synology will do is open up the VPN server port. Right. I guess NAT PMP. Right. Uh, UPNP. Well, it depends on your router. Your router. Well, NAT PMP on the airport, it's yeah, smart enough right. to do that. Actually, yep. the first time it probes your router, it's like, oh, that's an airport, right? And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, let me set up this. Yeah. You know, port for you, VPN server port, which I guess uses that protocol. And then, you know, I was at the library, I think. And so I connected their public Wi-Fi, uh-huh. said VPN, started it up. And then all of a sudden the VPN icon came up in the uh, menu bar of the That's phone. That's good. So you're, like, oh, well, you're inspiring cool. me, John. I, I need to, uh, I, I, I can't be outdone. Now I need to have an open VPN server and be more secure. Than, uh, oh, than the I only tricky am. part. Okay. So the configuration file, you have to put the IP address of your connection. So my outside facing IP address, I had to put that in the configuration file. That's the only part that may be kind of a pain. Okay. And that you have to find what that is and hope that it doesn't change. Well, why don't you put, I know, I I know there's dynamic DNS, all that stuff. I just haven't gotten around to that yet. Okay. All right. So at this point I'm using a static IP. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Cause I do dynamic DNS here and that works fine. So, uh, Lots of terminology we just threw out there in that discussion to uh, the 32nd catch up. A VPN allows you, we've talked about it before, allows you to tunnel into, in this case, uh, uh, tunnel into your home network, John, and uh, A, have a secure connection from wherever you are on the outside to your home network. And then everywhere, in theory, everywhere you connect to from, uh, from wherever you are appears to be coming from your home network. And also allows you to connect to things at your home network as though they're local, like printers and and other servers and that sort of thing. Um, so that's that's that part of it. And uh, I, I, what else did I miss? I think that's pretty much it. I'm, uh, oh, dynamic the, uh, DNS. Yeah, right. So, uh, and I'll say hi to the chat room and thank you for reminding me. MacGeekUp.com/slash/stream. Dynamic DNS. When you connect to your cable modem or or um, uh, DSL modem or whatever, they give you an IP address. The most common type of configuration is that you get an address from them, but it could change. It 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 tends to change very fairly rarely for most folks, but it could change. Uh, and that is the agreement that you have with them is that you don't get the same address. Dynamic DNS allows you to run a client on your home network somewhere, and you could run this client on your Synology, John. Uh, to update a server out in the world and then like uh, using a, a service like dyndns.org, dyndns.org, uh, you, you register with them and then you might get something like johnbraun.dyndns.org. And hopefully I didn't just divulge yours by guessing it. But if I did, then maybe uh, you should use a different one. But uh, use that. good. Um, so uh, so that allows you and then that will update automatically um, if your IP address changes. So you could put in this fictitious example of mine, uh, johnbraun.dyndns.org in your profile. And then if your IP at home changes, it wouldn't matter. You'd still be able to connect to your server without. Yeah, because I wouldn't want to give out my public IP address, which is 172.16.1.1. Just kidding. No, that's my (laughs) NAT assigned router. Yeah. Someone joked at our chat room here. You typically don't want to give out your public IP address to people. And other people have done this. Well, but you do every time you send an email to someone. So I know it's buried in there. It's not that buried, but, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's, you have to turn on the header view and that's actually an interesting thing. If you ever needed to know or wanted to know uh, somebody's IP address, just 
click on an email you got from them. And if they sent it from their computer mail client, as opposed to a webmail client, webmail client will obscure, typically obscure the, the user's IP address. But if you send from like Apple mail, your IP address is baked in there and you can kind of look through the trail and see where that, uh, where that shows up. If you view the source of the message. So I assume everyone in the world has my public IP. They're just nice to me and don't try to hack me. At least not, uh, not intentionally. That's cool. Well, I'm uh, now, now you've inspired me as though I didn't have enough to do over the next week. I yeah. will, uh, it, yeah. uh, it could have been a nicer implementation because again, I had to go to two different spots. It would have been nice if it handheld me and said, mm. okay, well now that you've set up the parameters and exported the files that you're going to put on your other devices, um, let's go and set up your router. Shall we? You know, that, yeah, right. Right. No, that totally <laughs> makes see sense. Why they couldn't do that. They could. So I had to know enough to know that I can't, that this is not the only step in this particular configuration. Yes. That I have to allow my router to uh, talk to the outside world. Yeah. No, it made me so giddy when I saw the VPN icon and I wasn't on my home network. Cause to me, that means, you know, that that wasn't a good enough test of whether I succeeded or not. Right. 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 <laughs> Um, although connecting to your VPN from the home network is actually, um, sometimes a trick and sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes it won't work, but, um, but that's okay. It's good stuff. It's awesome. Back, back on track. But yeah, no. So my goal is you have to try one new, uh, Synology thing every week. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, every that's week. a lofty goal. I, I, but I, every I, two weeks. Yeah, no, I appreciate Oh, I appreciate that. That's good. I, I do want to uh, talk about our first sponsor, John, as I mentioned in the uh, pre-show or in the intro there, it's barebones.com. Uh, they are the makers of BB edit and of Yojimbo. Yojimbo is a piece of software that longtime Mac geek Gab listeners know I have been using since uh, hours of its official release. Uh, I wasn't a beta tester for it. But uh, but I'm kind of glad it's cool to be a beta tester sometimes, but it's also nice to have my first experience with a piece of software being the uh, polished release version. And that's how it was with Yojimbo. Yojimbo is a um, information collector uh, is probably how I would describe it. You take all these bits and pieces of information that you have and they can be text. They can be graphics. They can be PDFs. They can be audio files and you put them into Yojimbo and then Inside there, you can create different tag groups and, and collections, and an item can exist in multiple collections if you so choose, or it can just exist in one, or it can exist in no collections. And uh, and you store your data in there. I use it uh, for quite a few things. I have little tech tidbits that I collect, and I just store them in there. And then I know I can search. I can search by name. I can search by um, by date added, I can search by the contents of the files and it'll filter everything down. And it's super fast with all of this. So, uh, so I, I just put all that stuff in there and, uh, and it's actually how I still to this day manage, uh, Mac geek Gab. when we get emails in, uh, we, you know, either, uh, we answer them. And if it's, you know, once we're finished answering them, if it's something that I think would be good to, you know, queue up potentially for the show. I just print the PDF out to Yojimbo and it has your email, our answer and uh, automatically puts it in my Mac geek gab category uh, or collection, I should say. And then Yojimbo syncs. So I have Yojimbo on the office machine. I have it on my air. I have it on the one up here in the studio and it syncs. 
So now I put something in from the office. I put something in from the air. Boom. I come up here to the studio. All your PDFs are here and I can even put your audio files in so that uh, when you have an audio comment, we can use that too. So uh, that's your Jimbo. Check it out. Barebones.com is where you're going to, uh, to get this and, uh, and they'll let you download a free trial. And I highly recommend it. It's uh, it's something, something I couldn't live without. I don't know what I would do without it. So check it out. Barebones.com slash Yojimbo. And now, John, uh, I'm going to go into Yojimbo and press play on the, uh, on the first audio comment of the show. Hi, John and Dave. This is in response to episode 492 of the Mac Geek Gab, where you guys were having trouble figuring out how to change the default search folder in Mac OS X Finder. Uh, well, uh, luckily I know where that is. So if you guys want to change that, get the Finder selected, and then click on Finder and access the Finder preferences, or just go Command, comma. Then you're going to get a little tiny window and by default, it's going to take you to the general tab. It's going to get a click over to the advanced tab. Looks kind of like a gray gear. Then at the very bottom, it says when performing a search colon, and there's a little selector. And by default, it's set to search this Mac. So it'll just do your parent directory. Um, and if you click on that, you can change it to search the current folder. Get that selected. Then when you go and perform a new spotlight search inside of Finder, it will search the folder that you were currently selected. I hope that helps. Here's where you cut me off. You want to take it, John? Um, hello? <laughs> I'm not sure what to take. Uh, oh, okay. Well, the background is, uh, well, we had a question about how to find files using a spotlight advanced search. And this was our one of our fish shakes, our observations, is that it defaults to something that isn't useful. <laughs> it was certainly not intuitive. I honestly, you know, it's funny, John, when uh, when I saw your your uh, note that we should put this in the show, I had literally five seconds before just finished answering a question for a different listener and was in that exact finder preferences screen as I had been countless times before. And never once did I notice that I could change my default search. And yet that is something that frustrates me daily. So, uh, so if you, if you haven't yet done that rewind, follow along at home and, uh, and set that, uh, that default search, it, it just seems so unintuitive to have it search my entire computer when I'm doing this search from within the finder. If I go on to search my entire computer, I do that with the spotlight icon up in the, uh, in the upper right hand corner. But when I want to search a folder, I just want to search a folder. It's where I am. I'm there. I navigated there for a reason. I now want my search to be limited here. That's how I feel. about it. Yeah. Well, the one reason, uh, of course, is, yeah, is that certain searches for certain system files don't work unless you do have that selected. So this will solve that problem. And I don't, yeah, like you, Dave, I don't think it's the right choice because rarely do I want to do that because when you're saying, you know, this on this Mac or on this computer, it really isn't, I don't think. All right, all right. The, the problem there is that it makes the search so nonspecific that it doesn't work right. Right. Now, right. we also had someone write in. Now, we didn't put it in the show here. I'm going to kind of surprise you, but it was someone who who reacted to our last you know, guidance on this, and they actually pointed out something which um, further makes me uneasy with this advanced, uh, advanced spotlight search. In yeah. that they were saying, well, what you said didn't work. 
And I'm like, huh. And they provided an example, you know, with screenshots showing me it didn't work. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Let me try this again. I'm like, no, seems to work, you know, in the broken way that it works. Mm -hmm. And then I tried it on my uh, mountain lion machine. Uh, It didn't work. Interesting. So, so I learned something and that the advanced search, uh, the behavior is different between Mavericks and mountain lion, (laughs) or at least in the one example when you're when you're looking at these files that normally don't come up in searches, yeah. then the behavior deviates again, which, you know, I, I responded saying, you know, well, it shouldn't surprise anyone at this point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Ah, All right. Tip. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Uh, hidden. Yeah. No, it's I, it's hidden in plain sight. At least it was for me. Uh, but that's how it goes. All right. Terry says, I've got a weird extended monitor problem. I have an original uh, late 2012 Retina MacBook Pro 15-inch. This Mac has always been run on an extended monitor, whether at home or in my office. I've got the same model Samsung monitor in both places. Recently, something new and unusual has happened. I totally get that the dock and menu bar are on both monitors now in Mavericks by default. However, the default monitor has swapped to the external App started on the onboard screen's desktop will commonly wake from the external login prompt screen is next door as well. This happened around the time of the OS update for the go to fail fix, although I don't recall precisely when it happened. So that may have nothing to do with it. I've checked the display options and system preferences, but nothing seems like it will reset the default back to the onboard screen. I'd love to get my system back to normal. Yeah. So this is something that's always been a little bit obscured, but is right there in plain sight. If uh, if you think you can, if if you realize that you can impact it. So uh, go to if, and you need to have multiple displays connected while you do this. Um, otherwise, it doesn't matter. But if you go into system preferences, go into displays and go to the arrangement tab, you will see all of your displays shown there and you can drag them all around. Um, so that you can set up how they are uh, related to each other in the physical world. And that just makes it easier if you're dragging a window or even just your mouse from one screen to the next. Uh, If you set it up so that your Mac knows that your external monitor is down and to the right of your built-in one or your main one, then when you drag the mouse off and to the right, it just magically goes to this other screen. That's how you set that up. Also on that screen, it indicates which monitor is the default one, by uh, showing a white menu bar across the top of it. The secret trick is you can drag that menu bar. It's very small. It's not highlighted in any way that would make you realize that you can do this, but you can and have always been able to do this. So drag that menu bar to whichever screen you want to be the main one and, uh, and your Mac will follow suit. So hopefully that solves your problem there as well, Terry. That's, uh, that's where we'll take it. And while we're on these uh, these little quick answers and quick tips, John, let's uh, let's talk to Howard. Howard has a has a little tip and a question. Um, it's I'll call it the accidental tip because it's a, he he reminds us of a feature I forgotten about or maybe didn't even know about in the first place. He says I like using the merge all windows feature found in OS 10 Mavericks Finder, uh, and what that does is it takes all of your windows and merges them into tabs of one main window, which can be really handy if you want to just coalesce everything and have it all there. And, uh, and if you're not using finder tabs, check them out because uh, it's actually very cool. So, uh, but he says, I have not been able to find a way to make this the default view. 
As a result, every time I start up my Mac, I have to set this feature. Is there some way to permanently make this the default? And off the top of my head, uh, Howard, no, I don't know that there is or that that it's possible. Uh, and if it is, I don't know the way. There is something called Pathfinder out there, which will uh, replace the finder and let you do things like this. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But uh, off the top of my head, I don't know um, about uh, about how to do that. John, do you have any thoughts uh, on that for, for Howard? I'm trying to find the uh, original feature. I can't seem to activate it. Are you on Mountain Lion or Mavericks? I was on both of them. I'm looking in the window menu. Uh, let's see, see. Cycle through windows. It is in, uh, yeah, it's in the window menu. It's merge all windows. On, only on Mavericks, where you have finder tabs. Oh, well, it could be because I'm using total finder. Oh, that's the other one. Right, right. Yeah, so finder, uh, pathfinder and total finder um, are the... Uh, are the, the kind of finder replacements, if you will. And oh, yes. Well, well, they already tend to do it already, I guess. So that's okay. right. All right. That's that explains right. That. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Yep. I, get, <laughs> I get uneasy when someone talks about a feature and I can't find it in my menu. So that is weird. And I'm surprised it's not there. And it's definitely not in your window menu. It should be, you know, kind of at the bottom of the second uh, group of things, maybe two thirds of the way down. And your uh, yeah, my Mavericks. Uh, uh, yeah, Mavericks through Windows. Select previous. Select next. Bring all to front. That's it. Huh? Oh, let me make a new Finder window and see if that changes. Oh, maybe you need multiples no. open. No. Okay. No. Still only offer cycle through Windows. It's like, mm-hmm. huh? Wow. I wonder why that's not there. It could. It could be that you're running Total Finder. I mean that. Oh, that, I certainly am. So that may not be why it's not there. I yeah, 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 yeah. That because I know that. Um, yeah. There you go. There you go. So that there's your answer, Howard. Run Total Finder. And you, like you said, John, it, it will do that automatically for you. It, you can have it default to showing everything in just one view with tabs all the time. Yeah, I mean, that that was the draw of that, you know, from day one. Was right. Finder with tabs. Finder, that's right. <laughs> you say that. Uh, with the, 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 I feel like something's missing when, uh, when you, you know, you have to say it more like, you know, like... Uh, Finder with tabs or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Probably did a reverb there. Right? I did. Yeah, that's right. You don't get the benefits of that on your end. <laughs> well, because we all, we both run through one reverb unit. And if I sent you the reverb, you would hear your reverb, which is fine. Um, but uh, so that's one of the, it's one of the tricks of this show. I, we, we we've talked about it before. We we kept it a secret for a long time in that it just never came up. It wasn't really intentional, but uh, because John and I are in different rooms, I run a little bit like a very, very, very little bit of reverb so much so that you wouldn't notice it unless I took it away. And the only reason I, I run it is to make us sound like we're in the same room. Uh, but to do that, we have to both run through the same reverb unit. And John, you're on about a 30 millisecond delay from me uh, just because of Skype. And so if you were getting my reverb from here, it might be a little bit funky for you, but, uh, but that's okay. It's all good. So you don't get the benefits of those reverb things. Did we just ruin the, uh, did we just pull the curtain too far aside? Show the sausage machine. At work? I, I'm curious about the word benefit. I don't know if it necessarily <laughs> benefit me. 
Yes, it uh it uh it depends. Yes. So, um yeah, and as as Brian in the chat room points out, we also run well, to call them noise gates isn't entirely accurate. We run expanders on both of us, which effectively act as noise gates so that you don't hear if there is some background background noise on John's end, you don't hear anything from John's microphone when I'm talking. You only hear what's in John's mic when he starts talking and is above a threshold level so that the expander opens up or the gate opens up and uh and lets him talk. But that's again. All right, Dave says I have an early 2009 24-inch iMac running 10.9 Mavericks. I have it set to ask for a password when it wakes from sleep to help encourage my wife to use her user account instead of just logging into mine. And this way, uh, she can get all of her synced bookmarks, her mail, her calendar, her contacts, her 1Password, etc. I want it to display the fast user switching login screen. I can't find a setting to make the computer show the fast user switching login icon window or login window instead of just the login window for the last user. I realize it's only a few extra button clicks to get the switch user button at the bottom of the screen. But the reality of the situation is that it's not a simple click away. If it's not a simple click away, it's not going to happen. Uh, so this is um, this is interesting. There is no built-in way to my knowledge of doing this you can and we'll put a link to the the knowledge base article you can uh set your mac to log out when you're not in when it's not in use but that's not going to do what you want because if you're the one that comes back then you have to log back in and relaunch all of your apps so that's not really taking advantage of fast user switching but it is forcing your wife to log in um as her again not a not a perfect solution my um so I'm, it may be a bit of a geek challenge i know there's got to be a solution for this john my my thought is if i used to need on this very machine here in the office i don't do there in this studio rather i don't do this anymore but i used to need to have my user account logged in all the time whether i was up here or not and i forget honestly i forget why uh but it doesn't matter so uh, what I did was, uh, but Lisa uses this machine, this machine when she uh, works for us during the week. So I set it up so that this machine would boot auto login as me. And then in my login items, I had built uh, a little Apple script that used UI scripting and UI scripting uh, allows Apple script to trigger things like mouse clicks and that sort of thing. Uh, so I built this little uh, Apple script. I used the recorder engine or whatever, I think, um, and had it go um, as soon as it logged in and this little app ran, it would go up to the uh, fast user switching window and choose login window from that menu. So it would log me in and then bounce back out to the login window. And if I showed up, I could log in and it was good to go. And if Lisa showed up, she would log in. Uh, so the, the, the trick is, is it possible to get a uh, is, is it possible to have an event that happens as the computer is going to sleep? that triggers this before sleep happens. And if so, then that would be the, uh, the little bit of magic. It feels like Lingon could be used to trigger something like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not entire. I don't have the whole picture, but that's my thought, John. Any thoughts? Hello. 
Did I lose you? I'm here. No, okay. All right. Good. I'm, yeah, just, good. Uh, I'm thinking, Processing. No, I don't do a lot of uh, multi-user uh, action there. So, How about triggering something upon sleep? Triggering an Apple script on sleep? Doing? Have you, have you run into anything in your travels? On sleep? Yeah, because that's what he's looking for, right? Is when the computer goes to sleep. When it wakes up, he wants it to have the... So it could be on wake up too, but that would be a little more clunky than just having it do it when it's on its own. And, yeah, I know. And about to saver has some hooks. Oh yeah. I'm just trying to think if you can somehow get at this. So energy saver does have some options as, as you mentioned here. So I'm looking now. Oh got, yeah. Um, well, it has schedule options. Let me see. No, that was startup wake or sleep. So energy saver can invoke a sleep. And I'm wondering if you could attach something to that. Mm. That's yeah. It's just where, you know, where, where can we mere users get that, um, that hook? Yeah. I'm with you. And of course there's the sliders. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to get the what? Apple and I should get this, but the Apple script specification, mm. which I think exists somewhere. I haven't looked for it as of late. I'm sure it's on the developer site somewhere. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of automator has a, now, I mean, I think it would, I think launch D is your best bet for triggering something like this. And Lingon makes editing launch D. Um, I was going to say it makes it a snap. It certainly makes it way easier than trying to build P list files from scratch and put them in the right places with the right permissions and all of that. So, um, so Lingon, I'll put a link to that, that in the show notes too. So that's, there's our thoughts on that. Fun stuff. John, you want to take us to to John? I could take you to John. Please do. John writes, Hi guys, thanks for all the great news and info. I'm writing in regards to my late 2009 21 and a half inch iMac. It is constantly on. I've noticed for the past six or so months that my clock is wrong. It loses about five minutes a month. About once a month, I need to go to time date settings and that alone updates the time. I have it set to set time automatically, but does that mean only when I go to that preference pane? Is something else wrong? Is there a P list that might be messed up? Is there an automator script that would open the preference, then close it? All right, well, we can stop there. He's just going crazy now with <laughs> things to try. Yes. Now, uh, it's very simple, Dave. Uh, last that I checked, and that this should be happening automatically. Okay. Where does it happen? Well, it happens in system preferences and then date and time. What you should see in there. I always have trouble finding date and time in system preferences. You know, this has existed since day one of OS 10, by the way. Why can't I see it? It's like, no, it's in the system category. Yeah. No, I was looking for it too. And I missed it here. So, oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. Subcategory and then date and time. Okay. So you're going to have three things. And uh, well, it may vary. It may vary what you should see on one of the tabs. So I'm in the date and time tab and there is a little checkbox set date and time automatically. Okay. Wow. That sounds cool. Now that should be checked. Now there could be a problem though. So one, it could be the time server you're going to. Now pre-populates with Apple ones, which I would assume that they maintain and then should work. Um, one thing you may want to try is maybe put a different time server in there. Like, for example, on one of my machines here, Dave, I, uh, you know, I'm getting my uh, tax dollars worth here. And I instead um, link to tick.usno.navy.mil. 
Now, if you also, if you wanted to be uh, just like John, but a little bit different, you could also link to talk.usno.navy.mil. Those jokers at the Navy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, another time server. And I think just because I was having problems. Now it is the other thing you could do to see if this is working right. Well, this actually has a, a different name underneath the covers. This is actually uh, something called NTP network time protocol and there's a little daemon or demon depending on how you want to mispronounce it um, <laughs> called ntpd which you should see running yes uh, if you look in the console every now and then you'll see ntpd report that it's doing something now it may be reporting that it can't get to the time server if there's a problem so and, and like with a lot of things it may be stuck so you know try to put it in a different value maybe bring it back to apple at some point but do that to see if it if it then uh, gets with the program and what I saw in my console when I looked uh, just briefly was NTPD. I think it said time adjust 0.8523 seconds, meaning, oh, your clock was off a little bit. So sure. Let me, uh, let, you know, let me nudge it in this direction. So, so I know that Apple's time servers are reliable because I use it. Really? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I know that they answer whether they answer with the correct time or not. I, I don't know, uh, but I know that they answer and, and they do answer with a consistent time. And, and I, I follow well with my electronic devices. I follow a rule that I do not follow with my, my other devices, which is, uh, the man with one clock always knows what time it is. The man with many clocks never does. And so since I have many electronic devices, all of which insist upon showing me the time, I have all of them synced to time.apple.com. And the reason is I can't change. I don't believe I can change, at least not easily, where my iPad and iPhone and, and all of my iDevices sync and my Apple TV. And so maybe you can change the Apple TV. I forget. But anyway, uh, I, I decided I would standardize on time.apple.com since that's what all my computers came to by default. So my router... And my disk station and any other computers I have here are all set to time.apple.com and they all get an answer. So it's possible that that listener John has a, there's some routing issue between him and time.apple.com. But like you said, John, checking in the console will give you at least some indication as to what's happening. It's also possible that the old uh, set the preferences to something else and then set it back trick would work here. Uh, it may be something got corrupted and he's not actually set to time.apple.com. Maybe he's set to tim.apple.com and that's only, you know, the CEO's time server. So we don't have access to that. So, uh, so maybe he needs to just change it to something else and then change it back to time.apple.com. You know what I just noticed, Dave? What did you notice? I just went to my Synology and under regional options, I just noticed that it is set to the wrong time zone which is rather surprising i just looked at it and it says oh you're in gmt minus eight right I'm like uh, no you're no. not you're a time traveler but not that much of a time traveler oh that's funny yeah they seem to point to pool.ntb.org or at least that's what yeah. the synology is i guess yeah. that's their default yeah huh wow that's really strange that it was uh thought it was in california hmm. uh is that Yes, that is California. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. PDT. Uh, no, PDT. PST. Right? Because PDT would only be minus seven. If uh, if I'm correct. Because we're right now we're in minus four, not minus five 
here in the uh, Eastern Daylight Time zone. And I use zone with quotes. Isn't that right, John? Yeah. Am I doing my math right? All right, good. Yay. So, uh, our second, yeah, sp- oh, that, go ahead. That's, that's how you, no, I guess that about, uh, yeah, that about mm-hmm. wraps it up. That's how your computer should, and you may not have this enabled. The thing is, if you don't have it enabled, then it, uh, yeah, as pointed out, it's either you got to set it manually. And the thing is the clock will, I mean, you know, it's not a super high quality clock that you would think it could. Well, you know, it, I'm thinking it, back the way- to clock design. I mean, one way to keep a clock accurate, you know, you can key yourself to the frequency of the electricity, which at least in the U.S. is supposed to be 60. But it doesn't matter because NTPD is built to learn how much oh, clock yeah. drift your particular system clock has and then um, adjust for compensate for that over time. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Like, like in my case, the message was it's like, yeah, I think it looks over time, sees how you deviate and then kind of proactively nudges you when when it thinks it should. Right. And yeah, then it usually unattended. It usually gets you to the point you want to be at. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's cool. All right. Uh, I want to talk about our second sponsor here, John, which is, as I mentioned, Drobo. Uh, we've been talking about I'm not even going to call it their sister company. It's that they're under the same roof now. Uh, we've been talking about connected data a lot, but I want to bring it back home to uh, to talk about Drobo uh, and specifically about their uh, Drobo 5D, which is their latest direct connect Thunderbolt and USB three device. So this has five bays and you can put uh, three and a half inch SATA drives in it. And what this does is it provides you a single uh, storage repository, very configurable, direct connected to your Mac, super fast. And, uh, and you get to decide uh, you at least get single hard drive failure with this, which means that uh, if you, you put a bunch of drives in this thing, and it will magically, and I, and I truly mean this when I say magic, it, it, this is the smoothest experience you will see with, uh, with a, a multi-drive setup. You just put drives in and you don't have to think about it. It just does it. By default, it will protect you against a single drive failing, meaning you will lose no data, nor will you lose uptime uh, if one of your drives fails. You just get a little notification, you pull the drive out, you put a new one back in, and it deals with it. And that it literally is that simple. You can also set it to do duplicate or or dual drive failure where you can actually have two drives fail by doing that. You actually get less available storage as you would expect because it's got to account for data that could be on two drives. Uh, In addition, the Drobo 5D introduced something where you can put an SSD into it that acts as a cache and This is where it gets interesting for you as a Mac geek cab listener. This cache makes things way faster in the, uh, in the Drobo five series. It accelerates reading. It accelerates um, writing. It's, it's, uh, it's a very intelligent cache the way that it uses it. And you can get a free 120 gigabyte SSD card to put in your Drobo five D, which is going to cost you 80 bucks. Otherwise you get a free one. If you use the code, MGG free SSD. So yeah, it's a long code, but it gets you a free SSD and you can do that uh, for the entire remaining month of March. If you're doing it at drobostore.com. So uh, the Drobo 5D, uh, they've done some tests. We actually did some tests here 
and uh, and we've seen if you if you put fast drives in it, you can get sustained because you're reading from multiple drives at a time, uh, even though they're spinning drives and not SSDs. And when there's the cache in there, too, of course. But uh, but they get sustained reads of uh, of the 300 megabytes a second range, which is actually super fast. Uh, I certainly don't need data any faster than that. You probably don't. Uh, they put a multi-core CPU in that 5D, which is cool. And Drobo's going to be at Macworld. And we'll talk a little bit about some of that at the end of the show. They are a Cirque to Mac sponsor, as I've mentioned. Um, they're going to have uh, they'll have a booth there at, uh, at Macworld iWorld. I guess that's how we're supposed to say it. Should I say Macworld slash iWorld, John? I always forget. Uh, but they're going to have uh, six different speakers presenting at their booth. And there will be giveaways and daily drawings. Uh, you can win a Drobo t-shirt there. Uh, you can, they're, they're, they, I think they're going to give out, uh, so there's six speakers and they say they're going to give out at least 15 t-shirts for each speaker. So, uh, so there you go. That's uh, you don't even, it, it makes packing easy because if you just show up to Drobo's booth, uh, you know, for their speakers, you could get t-shirts to wear for the entire show and you don't even have to pack t-shirts. Uh huh. Just hope that you win one. Otherwise, if we see you walking around naked, then we'll know that you didn't win a T-shirt at Trouble's Booth. But with 15 T-shirts there, your chances of winning are, are super high. So uh, so we do want to thank Drobo as a, as a Cirque du Mac sponsor, too. But we'll, we'll do that later. They're, this is their spot for their their Drobo 5D. So we'll uh, we'll 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 give them more love later, too. But uh, but check it out. Yeah, it's a five bay thing. They um, I've always been a fan of their their direct connected stuff and the. Uh, the 5D delivers for sure. So check it out. Drobostore.com and, uh, and make sure that you use your MGG free SSD. That even rhymes to, uh, to get your free SSD. It's good stuff. Check it out. Drobostore.com and, and make sure when you see them at Macworld, you thank them for sponsoring not only this show, but Cirque to Mac as well. And, uh, and I believe we take it from there, right, John? And uh, you want to take us to Chuck quick tip on, uh, on, you know, we were talking about image capture a couple of shows ago and Chuck found something else that image capture does. It's like one of these, it's, it's this crazy little useful utility that nobody ever touches. And I found out why, because you find out why nobody ever touches it. No, I found oh. out why it does what it does, or at least why I think it does what it does. If yeah. I want to dig underneath the covers. Um, yeah, What's Chuck it do? Wright's just a real world example of something you mentioned that I wouldn't have thought of otherwise. In either 490 or 491, you pointed out that both preview and image capture can do a lot more than most people realize. A few weeks ago, I found that Mavericks didn't recognize my Epson Perfection V300 flatbed scanner. I downloaded their 15905 driver, supposedly for Mavericks, and at that time, it still wouldn't respond. But following what you said, I turned on image capture, connected the Epson and uh, via, uh, yay, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> I couldn't pronounce what was there. It's in some strange foreign language. <laughs> um, all right. So, so, uh, yeah. And then oddly enough, so once that happened in that image capture, uh, uh, recognized it, uh, it seems that he plugged in the scanner again at some point in the future, and then it was recognized with the, uh, the native driver. So I guess this uh, can also help kickstart your Mac recognizing your uh, scanner. Hmm. 
Uh, my only feedback is I noticed this, or I, I was wondering, why is this the case? Why does image capture even recognize scanners? How could it know these things? And I think I found it, or at least I found it in one place, Dave. So if you look in library, slash library, top yeah. level, slash image capture, slash devices, you're going to see what I think are drivers. Oh. I guess. And one has a name in it, and I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but one has the word Epson in it, another has, uh, and there's one or two. Uh, typically what I've seen, one or two, I think it depends on the vintage of your system. Um, but I saw Epson, Canon, and HP as, uh, as brand names mentioned in there. So uh, my guess is that those are generic drivers that at some level will communicate with a scanner from any of these uh, vendors, which is cool. That is cool. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they get installed when you set the system up, or maybe you know part of some update. I'm not sure exactly where they came from. I mean, I looked at them, and you you get info, and I think it says copyright Epson. So, so Apple didn't do it, I guess Epson or the vendors provided it, I guess at some point. Yeah, I think Apple. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was gonna say I think Apple like takes what the vendors provide and then like you know simplifies them or Appleifies them and then pushes them out. Who knows? Yeah. Whatever. They think, make it I work. Think the only, I think the only downside is, I think, as, as he kind of mentioned, is that it, it's a basic driver. So you may not be able to access all the bells and whistles on your uh, device, right. but at least it should uh, get you up and running. And it's a very generic fun. driver built to kind of use work with multiple things. But you can also install other drivers. Yeah, it's cool stuff. I, You know, image captured. Uh, it blew me away when it let me delete all those pictures off my daughter's directly off my daughter's device when no other utility would do it. And I was stoked that uh, that uh, uh, phone view told me to use it. So I love it. It's good. Yay, Apple. Woo. All right. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, we talked about and then we heard about a lot of different syncing solutions. So we have uh, we have several tips to share with syncing. Do you want to kick us off with Peter, John? Yes. OK. All right. So Peter. All right, so Peter wrote in, and and uh, we ended things. Well, Peter wrote in and told us what he did. Uh, okay. Once once we went back and forth a bit about how, how to possibly solve this problem. So Peter's problem was that he had multiple contacts in multiple locations, and you know I provided him with, uh, provided some advice. Uh, you know Apple uh, Apple has an article, and just my own wisdom. Sure. And that you want to get this all in one place. The problem is if you've been using iCloud for a while. Uh, you may have not only things stored in iCloud, but you may have local content. And this is the headache that many people have run into. He was able to get around. My advice is at some point you got to create the one true uh, source of your data. Otherwise, it will lead to madness. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> so I'll just go through steps here. Uh, it was kind of a hybrid solution here, but here's what he did to finally solve all his problems here. So first he... Disable iCloud contacts. Um, on all devices. Merge, uh, right. Disable iCloud contacts on both in his case, but I guess right. he says all devices. Okay. So step one and step two, merge duplicates in contacts on the Mac repeatedly until no more can be found. Okay. That, that repeatedly is interesting. So they, he's talking about the merge duplicates feature inside the Mac's contacts app. Right, which I believe is in the uh, card menu, right? You go to look for duplicates and then merge them all together. Yeah, and I was doing this the other day for another reason. Yeah, actually, I was just I was cleansing my contact list because actually I had 
I didn't have all the Twitter IDs up to date for all the people in there. And sometimes I had a manually placed Twitter ID. I created my own custom tag. Um, but there were a couple of cases where I had cards, more than one card for a certain person. And yeah, so I did. So you can, of course, do merge sure. and make sure that it got it right. Usually does. If anything, there may be old information that you got to purge, you know, an old phone number or something like that, if you recognize it. Sure. Uh, then the next thing went to iCloud in Safari. Did a select all. Uh-oh. And deleted uh, everything in iCloud. Okay. I would have started with a backup of contacts first, but that's just, you know, that's just me and my, uh, my geeky advice. Well, I think I, uh, I mentioned that in past that, but yeah, okay. let's bring up here. So I mentioned in the past. So one thing you may want to do before touching any of your contacts is go to, I think it's file and export mm. and you can export it uh, in a number of different formats or get a time machine backup. Sure. You know, that's true. Yeah, contacts. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, good advice because, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I'm with you. Uh, deleting all of anything right. bad. <laughs> always makes me nervous. Very bad. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I hope I'm deleting the all in the place that I think I'm deleting all. <laughs> uh, then he re-enabled iCloud Sync for contacts on the iPhone in two places. And they're waiting to see uh, if that worked properly, and it seemed to. Then went to contacts did a select all and delete gasp he puts there and then re-enabling iCloud sync for contacts on the Mac in two places. So that's a, it was just this, he was selectively, I guess, merging and cleansing and clearing things off and, and got it in the right order there. Right. Right. Well, that's cool. That's good stuff. I'm glad you shared that with us because it's a, yeah, it can be frustrating. I, I've had a couple of cases where I accidentally used info from an old contact. Yeah. yeah like oh, like definitely. Or something, and it's like, oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, I sent an email to a friend uh, a while back, and it was for a company that he had sold, you know, a decade ago. And I'm like, oh, dude, it didn't bounce. He's like, yeah, I think some domain harvester, you know, owns that domain. No. He's like, I... He's like, I can't worry about that stuff anymore. I'm like, yeah, well, you should because it was your email address, you know. But anyway, I mean, you know, it was 10 years that ago. That problem. Fair enough. And I've seen this actually, and this has happened with, with both of us here when we email each other because we have lots of email addresses. Yeah. It may be worth your while. I'm trying to remember the exact command here, but, uh, you know, mail can cache mm. uh, long after it should have forgotten <laughs> uh, email addresses of people. And if you match on name. Yeah, if you go to window in mail and previous recipients, that's where you can find that stuff. And in fact, I should look for my friends. Oh, old. you're right. Okay. Window previous recipients. Okay. This is, yes, this is good house cleaning to do every now and then. And you yeah, have, actually. it. it does, <clears throat> pardon me, it does not sync from Mac to Mac. So I know that I deleted my buddy's uh, old dead email from my iMac downstairs. It is still there on this one. So I got to remove it so I don't accidentally send to him from... Uh, from that again too yeah yeah and hey um well i'm looking here and uh you can of course sort on last used and i got some emails uh that are yeah last used in uh 2010 yeah there's many yeah. people that no longer exist or i no longer know <laughs> i have i have 2007s back here i don't even know who some of these people are sweet yeah yeah all right anyway yeah yeah blast from the past enough reminiscing all right good so that's uh Sinking answer ed slash advice number one. In fact, I will throw in uh, based on our chat room here. Two pieces of advice. Number one is an app called Contacts Cleaner, which uh, does a pretty good job. at sort of automating this process for you. They also have Calendar Cleaner, 
And then uh, Brian in the chat room says, you can also use Gmail's merge contacts feature. What you do is upload your contacts to Gmail, merge them there uh, with their merge contacts feature, and then bring them back down as a CSV, sort of a manual process. But if, if, uh, if Apple's solutions do wind up failing you, then you can export and import that way. So thanks, guys. Good stuff. All right, John, take us on to, uh, to Tom. Tom, we have more, more of the sinking nonsense. <laughs> and Tom writes, here's a partial solution to the note sync issue from show 492. The iOS notes app supports multiple accounts and will not overwrite or merge local notes with iCloud notes. The first step is to turn on notes under your iCloud account in the settings app. Now go to notes in the settings app and the option to set iCloud as the default account will now be available. When you return to the Notes app, there will be a folder button in the upper left-hand corner. Choosing All Notes will show both iCloud and On My Phone Notes, but only iCloud Notes will be synced. Going forward, all new notes will be created in the iCloud folder unless created while viewing a different folder. The Notes app will also support notes turned on for other mail accounts, such as a Gmail account or another iCloud account. It actually functions in a similar manner to calendars associated with different accounts. If there are just a few important notes on the iPhone that need to be moved to the iCloud, a simple select all in a note, copy, create a new note, and paste. Not ideal, but functional for a few notes. I worked through this issue a while back. I hope this helps Michael with this issue, and I do as well. I use Simple Note, and uh, it, it, you know, as the name may indicate to you, it's simple. It's free. There is a web interface that you can get to from your Mac. Uh, everything is stored on their servers. So, you know, be, be aware of, of security and privacy and all of that stuff. And then they have iOS apps and it is perfect for capturing these things. Um, I use it for things like uh, I was just putting something in there the other day. I, I keep a, a, a running like uh, birthday or Christmas gift list, just an ideas list for for like Lisa and the kids. And uh, and we were in the store the other day and uh, my daughter said, oh, I would love to, you know, get that someday or whatever. Some, I don't know, some cooking thing, I, I believe. And so I was like, oh, let me put that on the list. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I have my little thing. And I use Simple Note for that. And that way it's on all my devices that the notes sync everywhere. And uh, it's great. And it's way less headache than whatever Apple's got going on with their constantly moving target of notes. So, so there you go. That's, that's my answer for that. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not. No, I, I, I try to struggle with Apple solution. <laughs> I know I did too. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a bad idea to try Apple stuff, but, and, and, and it, and, and to be fair notes is getting better, but if you've got all this legacy stuff, you know, Apple, Apple punishes us sometimes for using a feature that was not, no, really think about this. You know, if you were using notes baked. a year ago or two years ago, yeah. If you were using a feature that was clearly half baked, right. Uh, you know darn well that if Apple Apple's going to do one of two things with it, they're going to kill it, and then you, you you'll never have it, or you um or it'll morph in a way that leaves you as the you know initial user sort of in this headache state where you've got to you know deal with uh, um coming back around with it. So so yeah. you know like, uh, like iCloud keychain. Yeah, right. Oh, no. See, it, the real reason I don't want to entertain it, you know, per, per our prior discussion is because it hurt me. 
And I, I bought that hurt. iCloud, well, not <laughs> iCloud keychain didn't hurt you, but but the key, the old keychain syncing did, right? I, I should say that well, again. The fact that they had it at one point and then they took it away from me, and now they're they're you know taunting me again with it, and I'm you know again, I need some stability here. I can't constantly they can't constantly be offering me things and then taking them away i know i know it's frustrating well so you know we we got quite a few comments about uh about our discussion uh in the last show and uh scott wrote in and said i too have long used one password on both ios and os 10 uh he says i've been using both one password and iCloud iCloud keychain now the way dave described letting one password fill an iCloud keychain add uh, I've also discovered a nice bonus feature when doing it the other way. When registering at a new site, Safari nicely offers a random password in line. So I don't have to invoke the one password and dig through the menus to get a password generated. And then as I proceed, one password also offers to save the login, generating a new random password. with One password is not nearly so simple. Uh, this means I have the simplicity of automatically generating and storing passwords via iCloud, but the polished and flexibility of one password on demand when I want to look up a password says I also still have the power of secure notes and all the other categories of one password says, of course it does require the purchase of one password, which is 50 bucks. So non-trivial, uh, but no, that, that, that is, and I've sort of, I mean, I sort of mentioned this last week, but, but throughout the week I've been living with pretty much the solution Scott describes where I've got both going um, and it's nice because I, you know, on my iOS devices, I'm now getting my one password data because as I fill it with one password, I let Safari store it. And then it, and then with iCloud keychain, it syncs to, uh, to my iOS devices, which is handy. Now, if only there was a way to have one password and iCloud keychain sync with one another, um, or even just check each other for inconsistencies. Cause I don't like the idea of having a piece of data stored in two separate places that may not be in sync with each other, because that's where you wind up with, with problems, right? If I know, Oh, well, my, my, uh, my iCloud keychain password for, uh, for uh, Amazon is the wrong one, but the one in one password is the right one. That is not a world I want to live in. Right. But um, so, so yeah, it's, it's imperfect. But I'm trying to I'm trying to find the magic mix. So maybe the folks at One Password are working on that too. Let's hope uh, that would be a good thing. It would be a good thing. Okay. And actually, to the, you know, and we were talking about the different options out there, and then to uh, you know, and I was thinking about it. You know, our discussion here about why I use what I use. Yeah. And of course, one answer for for a couple of the things we were talking about. So one answer is that. Uh, as far as I can tell, one password does not have any free product. Is that correct? Um, I, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And the thing is, uh, LastPass does. They also have an enhanced product. Um, so that's one reason you may want to. Yeah, but you can't LastPass. use La right LastPass. You can use in a uh, actually in a fairly functional sense for free on your desktop. Um, Mac with browser integration, yes. On on a iOS device, you're you have you to still access you. You can see your information. You can see your vault, if you will. Right. But, uh, but yeah, you, the the integration is lacking. Oh no, so. La LastPass is way cheaper than One Password. 
Uh, I mean, even over time, right? It's a buck a month to to sign up for the premium LastPass uh, versus one password. And and like I said, I I was I was trying. I I have these grand hopes. I what I would love is for one password and the LastPass folks to like get together and help each other with their with the the pieces they're missing. There's a puzzle here, and together they could they could pull yeah. it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's one reason that that you know another reason that that I use LastPass. Because it's because it's cheap is the monetary is the monetary aspect. Right. And the same thing we were also talking about. And actually, this is kind of timely, I think. And and the other one, you know, I thought about this, too. Um, We were talking syncing solutions here. And I started um, using uh, trying to experiment with Transporter to see if I can get it to do what I want to do, which is kind of like private syncing, if you will. And, And I think I may have it at that point. Okay. In what sense? Well, we may want to save it for another time here. Okay. No, the the thing is, I like the sync model, and that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to replicate that, uh, trying to figure how to replicate it on some of the other products that aren't necessarily meant to do, uh, uh, you know, local syncing to cloud. And I'm, I'm still exploring that. Okay. Yeah. No. no this you may want to put the reins on here. I see. Okay. Where... <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. No. No. That'll be good. That. That. I want to do more experimentation. But no. No. The final thing I want to mention here is that yeah, you were asking. You know, why am I entertaining Bitcasa versus some other things here? And sure. The, the other reason is that Bitcasa does have, you know, a limited, uh, free program. The uh, transporter is wonderful, but you know, it it involves for, it involves some cost. Yeah, but you already it's have. One. I mean, my point. What you get? No, my I point in the last yeah. show is you have one, right? So that that's the that's the question is is with this at your fingertips, why reach out and and right and, and experiment now, with something new? And I'm now creating a uh, different scenarios. Okay. The, uh, yeah, along with Synology. Yeah. 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 Right. Because they have theirs as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, well, you know, we we talked about how uh, Apple rolls out half baked things. And uh, and then burns you uh, and then you're left without a solution. And uh, and this is what rage software. This is what third party software is for. And I am uh, slipping into our third sponsor mention here, which is rage software with their um, Everweb, which is truly an iWeb replacement. But it's like an iWeb replacement plus way more. So uh, it's a Mac app that you run. It feels in every way, shape and form like a Mac app. Uh, It has master pages that so that you can you can pull in and and change your your themes. Um, All the uh, it, it, it it'll create mobile web pages for you. Uh, It has the ability to do drop down menus, something that iWeb never did. Uh, the folks at Rage Software have been building search engine optimization uh, uh, helper applications for years. In fact, they, they sponsored the show in the past talking about some of that stuff. And so that stuff is built right in to EverWeb, uh, allowing you to really take advantage of that. All the stuff is done with, uh, you know, HTML5 and CSS3. So you're using all the latest standards and it, it's a it's a WYSIWYG editor in that you edit right there on your Mac and it generates the HTML. Um, if you if you want to add your own HTML, you certainly can do that. They have a bunch of widgets there, uh, and there is one widget that allows you to 
you know, place a snippet of HTML inside your page. So you can, if you get a piece of code from somebody and you need to paste that in, you can do it. Or if you know HTML and want to do some of your own editing, you can do that, but it, it allows you to sort of encapsulate that and, and, uh, and not have it muck with all the beautiful stuff that Everweb is already doing for you. But in addition to uh, the HTML widget, they also have an audio widget where you can have it play an audio file on your web page. They have a PayPal wi- widget if you want to integrate PayPal into your web page, a Google Plus widget, a Google Maps widget, an image gallery widget so that you can just drop in, have that there and now inside your website. And again, you're doing all this development inside a Mac app uh, and it's called EverWeb. And uh, and I, I had had the opportunity to play with it uh, quite a bit. Uh, this week and it's really really well done it's at everwebapp.com highly recommend checking it out and uh and and on their website they have a support section with a bunch of free tutorials uh and including uh their iweb switchers guide and we'll put a link to that in the uh in the sponsor section of the show notes as well too so you can find that right there at the top um it it'll walk you through the whole process of migrating your old iWeb data and uh, into EverWeb. And then you can upload anywhere you want. It, it supports direct FTP publishing. So if you have like a DreamHost account or something like that, wherever you, you've moved your website, uh, you can put it there. But they also, inside EverWeb, have uh, direct publishing to their EverWeb servers uh, for just 99 bucks a year uh, to, to make it even, even simpler. So... Uh, so check it out. It, it's good stuff. We're going to be talking about it a little bit more. Uh, it does come back with a, it does come with a 60 day money back guarantee. Uh, they know you're going to love this. Uh, so check it out. Everwebapp.com. And, uh, and we would of course like to thank the folks at rage software for, uh, for sponsoring this show. It is good stuff and we appreciate it. So yeah, check it out. Everwebapp.com and, uh, and let them know we sent you. All right, John, we've got time. Uh, this is good, even though I've got to race I may, off. I may have to revive one of my old iWeb sites. They're another one that hurt me, Dave. iWeb was a... Yeah, I, I, totally. I used it pretty much to publish my pictures. I certainly didn't... Uh, no, I mean, the, the all the add-ons that they... I mean, you know, uh, iWeb had limited, you know, bells and whistles. Yeah. You know, like photo integration was one. But yeah. um, no, all the other stuff you mentioned there that they offer, that's... Uh, yeah. That's awesome. But being able to migrate the, I, I, I should go through that exercise because I still think I have an old website sitting around. Right. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing is, is if you've got one and sort of gave up on it because Apple left you in the lurch, um, that's, 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 I mean, listen, that's why EverWeb was created or one of the reasons EverWeb was created. It was also created because it's, it, in my opinion, better than iWeb was even, even when iWeb was being released. It is good stuff. It is good stuff. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Tim, what do you got for us, Tim? Tim says, my voice is, uh, my voice is wearing out. You'd think I had a gig last night. I didn't, but you know, I've been playing, I've been oatmeal doing this in your throat. What's that? You got oatmeal in your throat. No, no, no oatmeal today. But I, um, I, and I knew at the time that, that I was being irresponsible about this. I, um, you know, I've been doing this theater gig and it's great, but it, it, and it's cool. It's a challenge, especially volume wise, because we are playing, I mean, there is a, th- it's a small three piece rock band backing up this, this, what effectively is a rock opera uh, called next to normal. 
but in this theater, it's a tiny theater, which is great. Maybe holds like 70 people, but it's it, like the people in the front row are literally sitting on the stage. And so you're really close to the actors, which is great, uh, especially for kind of an emotional story like this. Uh, but the actors aren't using microphones. So we have to really manage our volume. So I've been playing all these gigs and uh, last night I just like had this urge, like I need loud music, you know? And so on the way home, I was, uh, I, I cranked um, uh, Green Day's, uh, one of their first albums, one of their earlier albums. And I was singing along with it and I could tell like, oh, this is really bad for my throat. And now uh, I am confirming my original belief that that was really bad for my throat. So, but anyway, rock and roll is sometimes about being irresponsible. So I'll take it. <laughs> uh Anyway, uh, Tim writes in, he has a couple of things. So we've got, he's got a couple, he's got one tip and then a question. So we'll share his tip first. He says a couple of times, the uh, topic of family data on the iPhones has come up in your conversations. I was recently in an AT&T store to replace a phone and found they have a new family plan. They call the legacy plan or something. He says where you get 10 gigabytes a month shared data just $15 a phone. And that also allows you the ability to do mobile hotspot. He says, I was able to replace my phone, upgrade my data and reduce my monthly bill props to AT&T. And I wanted to pass along that to my fellow iPhone family plan users like yourself. It's not widely advertised, but it's here. So this is true. We moved to this uh, with our plan too. Um, it, it, it seems like there's got to be a catch and maybe the catch is that AT&T is trying to convince us to stay with AT&T and not move. But we dropped our bill. We had a six gig per month plan for four phones and we were paying somewhere in the neighborhood of about two something two thirty a month. I want to say with this, uh, with four of us on this plan, um, the, uh, uh, I, I think we're paying 150 a month. I mean, it's crazy how uh, how much cheaper this is. I'm trying to find um, I'm trying to find uh, the, um, the the name of this plan. So uh, yeah, I've seen commercials for it. Yeah, yeah. Four comes in and and they're like, yay, this is this yeah. Is but there's there's got, there's got to be some catch, and I know that like the uh, the the next. Uh, the next time I, I go to like add a phone or something, it's going to cost me a fortune or something. But, uh, but anyway, maybe, maybe, maybe not. We called them six different ways from Sunday and uh, Lisa even called them, you know, I called them to talk to different people. There's no catch. It's just cheaper. So, uh, so I can't, can't yeah. <laughs> no, at some point they'll stick it to you. You know, it. it's going to happen. Of course. You know, right. Kind of like everybody's given up on limited data. Right. Uh, Right. Things like that. But no, I mean, to me, yeah, it's called the mobile here is to rope in four customers under one plan like me. Well, I had, but plan. I already had that. That's the thing yeah. is they had me um, with, I mean, it was it, all that changed is I pay them less and they give me a larger data allowance. I mean, literally that's what happened. Well, they may also be uh, trying to prevent you from jumping ship to someone like T-Mobile, which I think offers, uh, Correct. Uh, you know, they got the whole, we're going to, you know, pay your early termination fee. If you come over to us, so everybody's fighting for, you know, the customer. No, so. it's true. Good yeah. And this includes it. unlimited minutes. It, you know, all, on our family share plan, you get unlimited minutes, unlimited text and uh, free uh, and, and limited data. And again, in our, in our, 
situation we have we have now 10 gigs of data to share amongst the four I, of us i actually so i have the uh the the least expensive plan you can get through verizon for a single phone i think it's okay. like 70 bucks a month and sure you know two gigs of data and 450 minutes of uh premium talk time i actually exceeded that oh. last month now of course they didn't send me a text message that I exceeded it until i was uh you know at least like 10 or 20 minutes over my uh allocation right be of nice course if they would have sent me alert like if i was 10 percent under like saying hey you know stop you know stop the chatter or you're going to go over <laughs> right to see if i can adjust that because it seemed I, I would have rather have had it arrive beforehand than after <laughs> they may um, well, here's what they said they said unless you upgrade your plan before your next bill then we won't charge you the overage fee the problem is the right. cost of upgrading to the next plan was more expensive than the overage so it didn't re- and Oh, okay. Because see, what I've done with AT and T in the past is, uh, if w- when I had a limited minutes plan or whatever, if you go, you can you can retroact. They'll they'll let you retroactively um, upgrade to a, a you know a larger allotment plan, as long as you do it for the current month as well. But then after that current month, you can roll back to the at least with AT and T, I was able to roll back to the what I had previously. So it wasn't like I was stuck with it forever. Yeah, here yeah. it was. I was per minute I was 15 bucks over it would have caught cost me $20 to upgrade to the next plan so it didn't make sense right 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 yeah yeah exactly yeah unless you unless you think that you're going to start using more so no it was just an anomaly uh, again I gotta uh, I gotta go to their site and see if I can uh, have an early warning <laughs> yeah yeah I yeah. yeah well yeah it's not in their best interest to give you an early warning but certainly not <laughs> yeah that's the issue. All right. So anyway, thanks for bringing that up, Tim. I I had meant to bring that up on a show uh, last month when we when we moved to this, but uh, uh, but I didn't. So thank you, Tim. He says uh, his question is: I produce audiobooks and I'm regularly compressing and editing AIF files into MP3 format. I've heard that iTunes uh, MP3 encoder is better than the lame L A M E encoder that many other audio applications use. Um, audible, for example, wants MP3 files compressed in mono at 192 kbps, but that is not an option in iTunes. You can set to 320 kbps by choosing custom, but that is for stereo and of course halves that for mono files. So here's my question. Is there a way to use automator to access the MP3 compression engine in iTunes and then rename and export the files without using the iTunes interface? I can't get the compression settings I need. And I don't want to bring them into the library, convert them and send them back out and then delete from the library. I've already looked at Doug's Apple script for iTunes and didn't find anything there. And you're right. Um, I, I there, there is a quick convert uh, script at Doug's Apple scripts, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Doug's Apple scripts for iTunes is an awesome resource when you have something that you want to do with iTunes and you're not quite sure how to get it done. Um it, it, you know, they, they've got so much stuff there. It's fantastic. But, um, but, and, and you can then of course take their Apple scripts and edit them for, for your own use. I wouldn't re-release them because that's not cool. But, um, but obviously that, you know, it's the beauty of Apple script is you can, you can mess with stuff. So, uh, but there is a little known utility on OS 10 and I believe it's on every version of OS 10 I've encountered at least, at least certain, certainly uh, it's certainly there on Mavericks and I'm going to, uh, test it here on mountain lion and it is there on mountain lion 
They, the command is called AF convert, uh, as in audio file convert, all lowercase, no spaces, just AF convert. Uh, and it's a command line tool, which means you can invoke it from Apple script. You can invoke it from automator, or of course you can run it manually. And the idea is you run AF convert, you, you point it to an input file, and then you tell it what you want it to call the output file. And you can set a list of options. One of them being uh, the bit rate of the file, the other being the output format and so on and so forth. So uh, uh, in your case, Tim, you're, you're sending uh, a, a mono file. in. so as you noted, double the bit rate uh, that you want to have in the end, because that's kind of how this audio engine works. It, it, it thinks in terms of stereo and if it only sees a mono, it halves it because a stereo file is really just two mono streams um, uh, uh, bonded together for lack of a better term. So uh, yeah, check out AF convert. And uh, in general, this, this tends to work from the command line, but uh, certainly with this app, you can do AF convert space dash H and that will give you the help text on this uh, man. AF convert is, is quite useless in fact. So uh, the dash H option is better, but, uh, but I found that dash H option just by running AF convert all by itself. And if you run a command all by itself uh, often, not always, but often it will tell you what the options are and how to give you a little bit more information on how to use the command or how to find out how to use the command. Um, so there you go. That's, that's a, that's my answer for you. Good stuff. Yeah. Good one. Yeah, I know. I know these uh, hidden, hidden goodies in the terminal. It, and that's one of those. Re- I, I should be using that for what we do here. Although, well, no, probably because I do. I mean, we, you know, we use automator to convert the show. In fact, shortly we'll be doing that because uh, the show will be coming to an end soon. But, um, but I also use, and I, I could buy, I, I use iTunes. I have it imported into iTunes, but once it's in there, then I use iTunes manually because there's no way to automate this with automator. I use iTunes to manually put the image in and all of that. But honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, that's really stupid. There are command line tools for embedding um, all kinds of things into um, the MP3s, the ID three tags and all that stuff. So I really should rewrite that. Uh, I have to put the show number in that. That's sort of a one manual thing, but, but the image could be automated. So, I will, I will, uh, I will endeavor to research that, my friend. One last question, though. I think we've got time for. I think, but well, we're going to make time. I think. Yeah. Well, I got one last terminal tip here. One of my favorites. Go. We'll move on. You ever get an error in OS ten, whether it be Mavericks or whatever, and it says you know something like unknown error, and then it shows you a number. Oh yeah. Well, there is something at the terminal which. Uh, you can do, and it's called Mac error. This will explain what some of these obscure error codes mean. And you just go to the terminal, type Mac error space, and then the error number that you see it may tell you something more. It may not. I don't know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I love Mac error. That's another one of those, like you said. I hate hidden numerical error codes rather than plain English. That's and, right. And this will provide the translation for That's you. That's right. All right. So to wrap up our uh, our syncing issues... Terry writes, she says, suddenly my iCloud bookmarks have stopped syncing properly across devices. It's very discouraging because it has worked flawlessly for years and I can't pinpoint any changes that might mess it up. Uh, My computer is a 23, uh, 23. Let me try this again. 
a 27 inch 2013 iMac with a three terabyte hard drive and 16 gigs of RAM running the latest Mavericks. Uh, she says, uh, as is, and then she has a MacBook Pro, two MacBook Pros, an iPad, an iPhone, um, both of which are running. Um, well, they're, they're the MacBooks, everything's running Mavericks or iOS 7. So, latest OS is on everything. Uh, she says she has turned off Safari syncing on all devices. Uh, she's got the bookmarks correct on the 27 on the iMac. Uh, she made a backup of the bookmarks from there. She deleted the bookmarks from all devices. She quit Safari, restarted, turned on Safari bookmark syncing. Reopen Safari. The bookmarks came back and looked good. Good. Then she turned on syncing on one of her MacBook Pros, then turned it on on the iPhone and iPad and went to iCloud.com and reset the password. Uh, and it's still not working. The bookmarks that had been created on her main iMac got restored for the most part. But those added on one of her MacBook Pros didn't appear on the iMac or other devices. So. Any suggestions? Is there a way to force the iCloud bookmarks to sync? Is there a problem with Safari? So, yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, the cloud is the master. Um, you can look. It, it, she said that uh, she tried to go and, and uh, you know, she looked in the iCloud folder. So library mobile documents. She said, well, I didn't see anything in there that would obviously help. I did notice that it appears that apps that have been downloaded from iOS devices, put some folders in there, which is true because that's how that all syncs. So um, your bookmarks are actually stored in home library Safari on your Mac. And, uh, and it's a file called bookmarks plist. I tested this while it is syncing data from uh, iCloud, a folder called lock is dropped in there. And that's an indication to Safari not to mess with that file until it's finished. And then that folder locked gets deleted and, and bookmarks.plist is updated. So uh, you could remove bookmarks.plist from there. It's possible that you've got, uh, and, and do this on your other devices as well. It's possible you've got one device with some corruption there that's that's constantly causing this to to reset and reset. Now, of course, it's possible that one of those devices is your iOS device uh, and that gets tricky. But in theory, turning off bookmark syncing should wipe that out. Um, it, it's tough, though, uh, with with multiple devices syncing, some of which you cannot get in and actually troubleshoot. You know, I hate to say that one of the solutions is to, you know, wipe your iOS device. But if it is corruption on one of your iOS devices, that is the only Apple prescribed method of resetting those kinds of things is wipe it and don't restore from a backup, but it's a huge baby with the bathwater approach. So, um, uh, you know, resetting from iCloud is, is going to be the trick. And, and what that might mean is, uh, you know, pushing up a, a, put a single bookmark on your iMac and, and try and sync that up to iCloud and just get that in sync. And then, kind of bring back in all your other bookmarks with an import or something like that. I don't know. It's a tough one, John. You got any thoughts? Well, I wonder if well, I'm looking at this now here, but there is that advanced setting in iCloud. If you go to iCloud settings, advanced on your Mac, right? you mean I'll throw a browser. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. What I'm talking here is uh, yeah. And they do have a reset documents and data setting. I wonder if that would impact bookmarks too. 
I mean, it says here, resets and merge all documents and data on iCloud with what is currently on your devices. But that, but that's documents and data, right? I mean, iCloud has documents and data is not a generic term for iCloud. It is a term that specifically refers to effectively the things in the mobile documents folder. And that is very right. specifically not bookmarks. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Uh, so I don't know. It's tough. They don't, they don't make this easy. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if the bookmarks so I was something that, uh, iCloud, uh, Synced for you, yeah. It, no, it, well, it does, but as I said, it's not in the mobile documents folder. It's in the home library uh, bookmarks folder, so or home library Safari folder in that bookmarks.plist. And I don't think there's any way to see that on iCloud.com. Right, you can't go there and reset it from iCloud.com. At least not that I'm seeing here. Oh, Apple. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, this may be one of those things where you've got to call Apple care and say, Hey, I can't reset these on the cloud. I need you to reset the cloud for these. Please uh, go. A lot of their articles, including the one that talks about resetting iCloud documents and data at some point says, well, if you still can't figure it out, then contact iCloud support. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You may have to contact iCloud support for this one. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, the, the, the steps being taken are correct. But at some point, somebody poisons the well, if you will. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and I guess if you keep going through the same process, so I could see how that can get tiring. You may eventually isolate the problem device, but, you know, probably not a very, you know, exciting use of your time <laughs> right. to methodically <laughs> repeat the process until you find the single device that's, that's causing the grief. Right, right. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. I wish there was a better answer for this stuff because it gets frustrating with, uh, you know, uh, it, people have this issue with iTunes match too, where it clearly the issue is with the data that's on the cloud and it's tough to get them to reset it. And it's tough. The first level text can't do it. The second level text can't even do it. They've got to bring in like engineers. And even then it's like, well, this might not work. What do you mean? It might not work. Uh, sinking it's not all it's cracked up to be but i sure wouldn't want a world without it it's a hard problem it, it is yeah it it is and apple um uh, clearly apple can't get it right uh, all the time or even um enough of the time uh otherwise this episode you know would have been half the length that it was uh but they also when they talk about iCloud and and how third-party developers can can use it they they make it seem very trivial like oh yeah and third-party developers can save data here and it'll sync amongst all your devices like great if you talk to any developer about that they'll be like whoa whoa yes you get syncing for free with iCloud but you do not get you know um conflict resolution for free you have to implement 100% of that on your own and figure out how you want to do it and that's where this gets really hard it's super simple when you've got one set of data and you want to get it to another device. No problem. Well, what if there's some data there that conflicts with what you've got? Which one is current? How do you want to deal with that? How does your app deal with that? It's not easy. It's not even close to easy. So, you know, that's how we do it. But if you have a question, easy, hard, doesn't matter. 
feedback at MacGeekab.com is where you send your email. Dave, that, that sounds amazingly easy. You just send an email to feedback at MacGeekab.com. You do. You can send an email to feedback at MacGeekab.com. The only time that you can't do that, John, is when your email isn't working and that's what you're asking us about. And in that case, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. But let's assume that your phone doesn't work or you don't want to use your minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Then what do you do? Well, there's another service that you could use. Um, Well, one is uh, facebook.com slash MacGeekab, where you can see the uh, upcoming show when the show notes are posted and some uh, discussion uh, uh, erupts every now and then on that page. (laughs) Trent erupts. (laughs) Uh, so the Facebooks and the, and the Twitters also on the Twitters. Uh, the podcast is Mac Geekab. I am John Efron. He is Dave Hamilton. Publication is Mac Observer. Yeah, that's how it is. That's how it goes. Did you mention Google Plus? Plus.google.com slash plus Mac Geekab podcast. And we've got our community there. Great discussions there. Absolutely outstanding. Yeah, my notifications are working again. Yay! Finally. Yeah, I don't know what happened. That's good. I'm well, glad. I changed the email that was tied to my Google Plus uh, community account, or, or just my Google Plus account. And okay. Somehow now I'm getting notifications that things are being posted to the community. So, you know, that, that tip seems to work everywhere. You know, if it's stuck, just change it to something else, and then it'll work again. That it, seems it, to it be... It really bothers me how many times that seems to solve the problem. Yeah, we're going to have to get a uh, just a little soundbite of us uh, suggesting that so we can just, you know, play that for folks. When, uh, well, it's almost as popular as the, uh, have you turned it off and on again? That's right. That, you know, is, Re- is pretty much all that IT people do, right? I, hey, listen, sometimes a reboot solves things. There's nothing wrong with that. So that's that. Also, iTunes comments. Uh, we certainly do appreciate those. Um, go ahead. We can't respond to those there. Uh, I wish we could. It would be actually be really nice, but I get why Apple does what they do, I guess. So, uh, so yeah, go check that out and, uh, and leave us a comment there. We appreciate it. It actually helps promote the show because more comments means we, uh, the iTunes folks will feature us more often. And that means more listeners and that's good for all of us. So we really appreciate that stuff. We also appreciate Michael Johnston. Uh, he is the one that takes this show and converts it into AAC with all the chapters and links and all that for all of you. And I know most of you really, really love that and, and prefer that uh, version of the show. So thank you, Michael. Michael produces the We Have Communicators podcast. He's the host of that. An excellent host he is. And also uh, publishes a website called getappler.com, G-E-T-A-P-P-L-R.com. We also like the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. They provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace this month includes, as we said earlier, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Everweb from Rage Software, Drobo from Drobo, Text Expander, PDF Pen from Smile, Gazelle.com to sell off all your old Apple stuff, and uh, Squarespace. Coupon code MGG for 10% off. And don't forget that MGG free SSD from Drobo, too. It's good stuff. All right. 
we do have uh, we do have one thing to to say here, John. You want to say it? Some just lasting one? advice. Oh, I don't think it's just one thing. I think it may be two or even three things or words, and that is, don't get caught. Made up.